0: By. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Great West LifeCo First Quarter 2021 Results Conference Call. I would now like to turn the conference over to Mr. Paul Mann, President and CEO of Great West LifeCo. Please go ahead.
1: Thanks, Ariel, and good afternoon and welcome to Great West Lo- LifeCo's First Quarter 2021 Conference Call. I hope you and your families are safe and healthy. Uh, Before I move on to our prepared remarks for the quarter, I'm going to take a few moments to touch on the ongoing impacts of COVID-19 on our communities and world. To start, I want to acknowledge and thank all of our healthcare and essential workers. It's been a long road for you, and your tireless work has ensured our health and safety and kept our communities running. And to those of you who've lost a loved one due to COVID, my heartfelt condolences go out to you. Our appreciation also goes out to our dedicated advisors and employees for for their ongoing efforts. You continue to serve our clients and deliver on our commitments as you balance family and other responsibilities, while most of you working from home. While there's real hope as vaccination uh, vaccination efforts um, advance, the world's also coping with new waves and variants of COVID-19, and we see healthcare systems in many countries remaining uh, truly stretched we've seen the heart-wrenching impacts to people and families in India where we, where we actually have an Empower Retirement team. And as a demonstration of care for our over 1,000 Empower Associates living there, Empower Retirement, along with our Canadian operations, and together with Power Corporation and IGM, are donating over uh, $250,000 to Red Cross disaster relief efforts. And in other countries, like the U.S., vaccination rates are helping to stem the surge of additional COVID infections, and, you know, what we see is that's allowing countries to increasingly open for business, travel, and things like connecting with family and friends, and I would say that's things that we all yearn for. So, in, you know, in my mind, it's clear that vaccinations will be critical to achieving both health safety and a vibrant economy, and that's why we're really encouraging vaccination for all those who are eligible, including our staff and advisors. I'll share that I personally had my first AstraZeneca vaccination, and I look forward to my second shot. So getting on to business, uh, joining me on the call today is Gary McNicholas, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer, and together we'll deliver today's formal presentation. Also joining us on the call and available to answer your questions are David Harney, President and Ch- Chief and Operating Officer in Europe, Arshal Jamal, President and Group Head Strategy, Investment, Reinsurance, and Corporate Development, Jeff McCown, President and Chief Operating Officer, Canada, Ed Murphy, President and Chief Executive Officer of Empower Retirement, and Bob Reynolds, President and Chief Executive Officer of Putnam Investments. Before we start, I'll draw your attention to our cautionary notes regarding forward-looking information and non-IFRS financial measures on slide two. These cautionary notes apply to today's discussion and the presentation materials. Moving to slide four, you'll see a high-level summary of the key themes that we're going to cover today. We reported a solid first quarter with continuation of the momentum we saw in Q4 and strong and consistent operating performances across all segments. Our recently acquired businesses, mass mutual and personal capital, are performing well. The integrations are on track, and MassMutual contributed solidly to the first quarter results. Our capital position remains strong, and our LICAT ratio was at 123% at the end of the quarter. While down six points from Q4 due to rising interest rates in the quarter, we're comfortable with our LICAT ratio, which remains above our internal target range of 110 to 120%. And while rising rates have a dampening effect on LICAT, The higher interest rate environment is positive for our overall business and the value we can deliver to our customers through our products and services. From a business perspective, we've experienced modest financial and business impacts from COVID in the quarter, which are outlined on the next slide. So please turn to slide five. From a revenue perspective, sales and quote activity are trending upward, and in most cases uh, nearing pre-pandemic levels. While activity remains impacted by lockdowns in some jurisdictions, overall trends are favorable, and we've seen good persistency in asset retention across our group businesses. While the impact of credit was modest across bonds and mortgages, COVID-related pressures still exist in some sectors. Uh, We're maintaining a cautious outlook for segments of the office and retail subsectors. We continue to monitor our invested assets portfolio closely and believe in its high quality, diversified nature, which will help to mitigate potential fu- future pressures. So, in summary, business, business momentum and our sales pipelines are strong, and we remain confident in the resiliency of our business. Turning to slide six, we provide an overview of earnings. Base earnings were $739 million, and net earnings were $707 million in the first quarter. Base EPS of $0.80 cents was up 36% year over year and steady with last quarter. Expected profit increased 21%, reflecting solid business growth and an ongoing recovery from the effects of the pandemic and a strong contribution from the mass mutual business acquired last year. Net earnings of 76 cents per share posted a strong rebound from COVID impacted 37 cents a year ago. Net earnings included modest UK property related impacts and US integration costs. Please turn to slide seven. You'll note we've taken a different approach to operating results slides this quarter. We've changed the format to focus on segment operating performance, including top line and net growth, to facilitate greater insights into growth drivers and market trends. Turning now to Canada, we saw solid operating performance in Q1. Group insurance sales were strong due to large cases and overall persistency. For the second consecutive quarter, Canada Life led the market in group life and health sales. We also saw strong asset retention in group wealth as plan members switching jobs or retiring opted to keep their assets with Canada Life through the Next Step program. This is the same dynamic that we refer to at Empower with our re- retail IRA rollover business. While individual insurance sales were slightly lower due to fewer large cases, code activity is trending upward and we continue to add new products and services. And as an example, we launched the Canada Life. My Term Flexible Life Insurance product. This new customizable product allows customers to pick the exact term length they want, between 5 and 50 years, and we're seeing the benefits of our past investments really playing out with over 80% of individual insurance applications now being done digitally. This reflects continuing strong adoption of our Simple Protect digital life insurance app. Individual wealth saw record sales across segregated and mutual funds and positive net flows. These strong results reflect excellent progress in building out our wealth business in Canada, which was advanced through the combination of GLC asset management with Mackenzie Investments and the new product launches we, we made last year. Strategic advancements continue, including the introduction of an advisor solutions, which provides enhanced support for advisors who are doing business directly with Canada Life. The technology-enabled offering is adapted to each advisor's unique needs, including product support, practice management, and succession planning. Please turn to slide eight. Empower continued its strong growth trajectory after leading the defined contribution record-keeping market in growth by participants and assets in 2020. Sales of $64 billion reflected strong results across market segments and included a mega plan sale with approximately 316,000 participants and US $49 billion in assets under administration. As noted in the past, Empower sales can be lumpy and will be elevated in quarters when we onboard large or mega plan sales. While Empower is the second largest player in the the US-DC record-keeping market, extending the business to meet the retail wealth management needs of its over 12 million participants is a key part of our strategy. We're pleased to have reached a new milestone of $19 billion in retail IRA assets under administration as of quarter end, with strong growth in roll-in and rollover assets, IRA customers, and managed account sales. While integration is proceeding, personal capital continues to make strong progress as a standalone business with positive growth in new client assets to end the quarter with AUM of $18 billion. On a combined basis, Empower and Personal Capital standalone retail assets reached $37 billion. This is an increase of 14% from Q4 2020. On a year-over-year basis, including personal capital assets pre-acquisition, combined retail assets are up 68% from Q1 2020. Staying on this retail wealth management theme in April, Empower announced it will launch a new digital experience later this year. The new offering will bring together the combined experience, technology, and capabilities of Empower and Personal Capital. This represents the first stage in a more robust integration of personal capital's technology and client engagement capabilities into Empower's DC and retail platforms. Finally, the acquired mass mutual business contributed strongly to Empower Base Earnings in Quarter, and integration is progressing well. We've achieved U.S. $40 million in annual pre-tax run-rate synergies to date, and are on track to reach our U.S. $160 million target in 2022. Please turn to slide nine. Putnam sales of U.S. $13 billion were down 14% from last year, but steady with last quarter as sales of short-duration income products slowed due to lower yields, while equity sales improved. Net outflows of $2 billion were mainly institutional, and and. and and fixed income products. Behind this result was offsetting net inflows in equity products driven by continuing strong performance with seven of ten U.S. equity funds having four or five-star Morningstar ratings. Putnam is driving organic growth with new fund launches. In February, it announced the launch of active ETFs with the first of these products expected to be available this quarter. Please turn to slide 10. Europe had a very solid commercial performance in the first quarter with sales and profitability in many product lines in our three markets returning to pre-COVID levels. In addition to the new presentation on this slide, we've included additional details on European sales on slide 28 in the appendix. Wealth sales have continued to recover with strong growth in individual pension sales in Ireland and Germany. German sales were up 20% year-over-year and we're excited to have completed our first quarter where all in-quarter sales were processed on our new, more digitally-enabled administration platform. Wealth client retention in all markets remains solid, supporting another quarter of positive net flows and AUA growth in local currency. Europe AUA is up 16% over the last 12 months, adjusting for the sale of Irish Progressive Services in Q2 2020. Group wealth is mostly workplace pension sales in Ireland and will vary a lot from quarter to quarter based on when we win large new mandates. Similarly, annuity sales will spike in quarters with bulk annuities. While there were no bulk annuities in the first quarter, activity has returned to the market with many pension schemes looking to transfer their liabilities and we are actively engaged in assessing these opportunities. Individual annuity sales were solid in Q1 and our Equity Release Mortgage business continues to perform well. We're very pleased with this business, branded Canada Life Home Finance, and the financial flexibility Equity Release Mortgages offer our customers in retirement. We also maintained our Group Insurance market-leading position in the UK, helped by new services such as We Care, which provides digital and virtual services to support physical, mental, and financial well-being of employees. Please turn to slide 11. Capital and Risk Solutions had another good quarter, following a record year in 2020, and has demonstrated strong growth by offering tailored reinsurance products to our clients in the U.S. and Europe. Because these transactions can take different forms and structures, expected profit is the best way to see how the segment is performing. While CRS relies on its established markets and products to sustain strong earnings, it also focuses on developing new markets and new products for growth. Examples of this are a large asset-based transaction in Japan and a transaction covering lapse risk in Israel. Both were closed in the first quarter and show that we can extend our expertise and creativity beyond North America and Europe. I'll now turn the call over to Gary to review financial highlights. Gary? Thank
2: you, Paul. Please turn to slide 13. Base EPS of 80 cents was up 36% compared to the prior year. While there were some COVID-related headwinds in base EPS last year, the improvement is more a reflection of underlying business growth, both organic and through M&A. We've had strong base earnings results across the segments, and I'll touch on highlights momentarily. Net EPS of 76 cents was up over 100%. In addition to growth in base earnings, a large part of the year-over-year swing comes from the COVID-driven market-related impacts in 2020, with only a modest headwind from excluded items this quarter. On a segment basis, starting with Canada, base earnings were 298 million, up 9% from last year. Continuing favorable results in health and LPD claims and solid uh, yield enhancement contributed to strong experience gains this quarter. New business also contributed positively as a result of repricing actions earlier in 2020 and higher interest rates. In the U.S., base earnings were up significantly from Q1 2020. The mass mutual business performed well in its first quarter, adding $48 million to base, including early expense synergy gains and strong fee income. We see an opportunity for further yield and spread pickup as we position investments to our target asset mix in the general account. Personal capital was in line with our expectations, profitable on in-force, but recording a base loss of 14 million as we continue to invest in new customer acquisition to fuel growth and future profitability. Excluding mass mutual and personal capital, Empower's base earnings increased by 30% as a result of higher market levels and strong organic growth. Putnam's results improved sharply year over year, while seed capital showed a small loss this quarter, it was much improved from the large mark-to-market losses in Q1 2020. I would also note that institutional performance fees, which were $30 million benefit last quarter, are seasonal and concentrated in Q4 each year, so did not contribute in Q1. In Europe, base earnings increased 52% over a softer Q1 2020, with improvements in each of the three geographies. Base earnings benefited from solid yield enhancement and favorable longevity and morbidity experience, partly offsetting higher life claims. Capital and Risk Solutions saw another quarter of strong base earnings growth, up 22% over Q1 2020, reflecting the expected profit contribution on business written in the past year. COVID continued to impact mortality rates with higher claims in the U.S. traditional life reinsurance business being partly offset by favorable longevity experience. Turning to slide 14, this table shows the segment and total LIFECO source of earnings from a base earnings perspective, which excludes the lines for management actions and changes assumptions and other, and also excludes certain market-related items from experience gains and losses. We introduced this view last quarter given the number of adjustments at the time and have maintained the additional disclosure expected profit was up 21% year over year. Of the 21% increase, about half was due to the additions of mass mutual and, and personal capital, with the other half, about 11%, coming from business growth across the other segments, most notably in capital risk solutions, which was also up 21% from last year. Regarding new business impacts, notable changes include the improvement in Canada, mentioned earlier, and an increase in new business strain in the U.S., which now includes personal capital mass mutual. And this is a direct result of strong growth. As a reminder, the U.S. strain is on investment contracts and represents business acquisition costs that cannot be deferred under IFRS. On the flip side, the benefit of future margins, including margins to recoup those acquisition costs, will come through the expected profit line in future periods. Experience gains contributed positively in the quarter, and I'll cover these on a separate slide later. Earnings on surplus of minus $31 million is down from the prior year. This is partly due to higher ongoing financing charges as a result of debt raises last year to support the recent acquisitions, as well as lower real-life gains on available sale for asset, sale assets in light of rising interest rates. The effective tax rate on base shareholder earnings was 10%, primarily reflecting the jurisdictional mix of earnings with a contribution from getting close to settling certain outstanding CRA matters. Turning to slide 15. The table on this slide is a reconciliation of base-to-net earnings, highlighting the key items that are not included in base earnings. Just two items to call out, the first being market-related impacts, this primarily represents an adjustment to UK property values used in payout annuity liability calculations, and the second is integration costs associated with Mass Mutual and personal capital. And we'll be noting these each quarter, along with the progress towards achieving expense synergy targets. And as noted earlier, Mass Mutual has, uh, has hit a run rate of uh, 40 million so far on, on route to our 160 million target overall, and those are annualized uh, pre-tax. There are no further uh, material impacts from assumption changes uh, in the period. Please turn to slide 16. This table shows the segment and total LIFECO net earnings results from a source of earnings perspective, and it essentially combines the information from the base earnings SOE with adjustments for the excluded items on the prior slide. The other line is where we record the integration costs mentioned earlier, and recall these are all pre-tax numbers. Please turn to slide 17. These tables expand on the experience results, as well as the management actions and changes assumptions to highlight various items in the quarter, most of which we've touched on earlier. As shown in the chart on the left, yield enhancement continues to contribute positively, particularly in Canada and the UK, and the market-related impact was discussed earlier. I'd also call out that there was, again, a positive combined net impact of mortality, longevity, and morbidity as we continue to benefit from a diversified book of business. Expense variances reflect strategic project spend, mostly in Europe, and credit related impacts were negligible this quarter, which is a good outcome that reflects the quality of the portfolio, but we do continue to watch that closely. Moving to slide 18, this slide highlights operating expenses by segment. While expenses are up notably year over year, this is to be expected given the growth in business and expected profit, both organically and through MA activity. Canada and Europe expenses are pretty steady year over year. CRS expenses are up 13%, which compares favorably to the 21% increase in expected profit. And in the US, expenses are up largely due to mass mutual and personal capital acquisitions, but also due to business growth at Empower. Please turn to slide 19. The Q4 book value per share of $23.36 was up 5% year-over-year and up 2% sequentially, driven largely by increased retained earnings, partly offset by currency movements. The LICAT ratio at CadLife remained strong, although down 6 points from year-end. The primary impact came from the sharp rise in risk-free rates, which accounted for a 3.5 points decrease in the ratio. In addition, as noted last quarter, This also includes the continued phase-in of the new most adverse LICAT scenario, which impacted the ratio by one point. Assuming we stay in this LICAT interest scenario, the full impact will continue to be smoothed in over the next three quarters at just under one point per quarter. We've also seen growth in the asset-related requirements from increased non-fixed income investments and the new reinsurance transactions. code cash of one billion, is not included in the LICAT ratio and would be worth about four points. That concludes my formal remarks. Back to you, Paul.
1: Thank you, Gary. Um, Please turn to slide 20. Looking ahead, uh, we'll continue to maintain a high level of vigilance uh, vigilance around COVID-19 and closely monitor ongoing risks in the markets where we operate. We'll also continue to do all we can to support our employees and communities as the pandemic continues to put so much strain on the health and livelihoods of so many. In Canada, we remain focused on elevating our wealth management strategies through co- the combination of GLC asset management with McKinsey Investments. We saw benefits in the first quarter with strong individual wealth sales and positive inflows. We will continue to leverage digital capabilities and product innovations to drive further revenue growth and serve our customers. In Europe, our focus remains on unlocking value from the investments we've made in our wealth and retirement platforms, including wealth Tuckens in Ireland and our extension into the German corporate pension space. In capital and risk solutions, we will continue to leverage our expertise and experience in longevity and life capital solutions to grow this business and extend into new markets within our risk appetite. At Putnam, we continue to deliver strong performance for our clients and the positive flows we see into higher fee equity funds illustrates positive momentum. And finally, at Empower, we're focused on building out our retail wealth strategy as we integrate personal capital and expand our offering to over 12 million-plus plan participants. We made solid progress in the first quarter with strong growth in retail assets and plans to roll out the new digital experience to plan participants later this year. We're also on track to realize the synergies and accretion targets we set for the Mass Mutual transaction. And on that note, please turn to slide 21, where we're pleased to announce that we will host an EMPOWER Retirement Investor Day on June 8th. We will post event details in the coming days and look forward to sharing more with you about the EMPOWER business and our plans to grow and win in the U.S. retirement services and retail wealth management markets. That concludes my formal remarks, Ariel. Please open the line for questions.
0: Thank you. We will begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star then 1 on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star then 2. To join the question queue, please press star then 1 now. Our first question comes from Manny Grauman of Scotiabank. Please go ahead.
3: Hi, good afternoon. Gary, when you talked about uh, the the tax rate this past quarter, you mentioned something about getting close to resolving certain outstanding CRA items. Just wondering if you can elaborate on that. Uh, What was the impact uh, from that? Uh, Thank you.
1: Uh, Gary,
3: just take that one straight away.
2: Yep, okay. Thanks, Paul. Uh, yeah, the, uh, so a couple of things to note there. Um, the, uh, the thing I called out there—that was we reduced our um, uncertain tax provisions, they're called, uh, by about 30 million as we uh, get close to finalising a settlement. Um, so that was, uh, and that was split between, I think it was 20 Canada and 10 Europe. Um, on the other hand, we had uh, other areas where our tax provisions increased slightly. So the, the net impact from Lower tax provisions was about 15 million overall, but the specific item I was calling out was uh, was about 30.
3: Okay, thanks for that. And then, if I could just ask about the capital and risk solutions business. Uh, it sounds like there's lots of momentum there. Expected profit up 21% year over year. I'm just wondering, uh, as you look ahead, do you expect that pace to continue? Is there anything in that? Uh, that uh you know you would uh, exclude and on a run rate basis, how do you look at that uh, expected profit growth going forward yeah
1: it, may it's uh if I refer back to gary's comments, you know the expected profit growth you see now is reflective of transactions that we would have done in past quarters, and now they're now flowing through and as gary um, or as I outlined, there' was a couple of transactions in quarter where we'll see you know the uh, lift in future quarters, having said that um you know, we, we use discipline in terms of our aspiration for growth with this business where we want to keep it within our risk appetite and we want to make sure that we've got really good discipline around, um, you know, return characteristics, uh, profitability and risk. So that that would sort of be an over, a general comment. I'll let Arshal comment a little bit more on the way we think about growth going forward. Arshal? Uh, thank you, Paul.
4: So in, in in terms of the transactions and the growth we've seen over the last couple of years, we've really seen some outsized growth on the longevity side, particularly in the swap area, both in sterling and in euros. And the market conditions there are tightening up a little bit. So I think the h- highest level of growth has already happened, but there are still opportunities for us even in that market. Um, we also continue to see reasonable opportunities for us along uh, across our structured portfolio in the US, particularly on the health side, in Europe around solvency to relief, um, and we highlighted a mass lapse transaction in Israel. So again, we've seen reasonable growth in that structured financial solutions area, and we'd expect that to continue. And then finally, on the traditional side, um, you know, we've seen some tightening extra competitive pressures in the US, um, but we announced that uh, transaction in Japan on an older age block, uh, which was very interesting for us because we got all of the premium up front. So we have very little reinvestment risk there, and we can fully hedge out the interest rate exposure and then over time try to add some spread. Um, so I, again, you know, we're not promising the 20% type growth that we've seen in the very recent past, uh, but there's still lots of opportunity for us to continue to grow reinsurance um, in, in in pace with uh, how the growth of the rest of the company. Thanks for that.
3: And um, just as a follow-up, I know you're emphasizing that you're increasingly looking outside of North America and Europe. What's the competitive uh, landscape once you go outside uh, of of those jurisdictions? Does it become uh, less competitive? Or if you could
4: just give some color on that.
1: No, why don't you go straight to that?
4: So, uh, thank you. Um, You know, I think we're really picking our spots when we're sort of extending beyond our core markets of the U.S. and Europe, um, so, you know, Israel is quite attractive for us. It is not an overly competitive market, but there are others who are there. Uh, but really in that market, we're benefiting from our solvency two structuring capabilities. Um, and in Japan, we're really leveraging the strength of our global investment organization, um, including our investment shop in London. That's part of the UK operation uh, because we're, we got that large upfront premium from the Japanese client. So we can immediately hedge all of the interest rate risk. Um, so, you know, the, the, the markets outside the U.S. and Europe are very large, potentially in Asia and in, in other markets as well, um, and we're, we're only scratching the surface there. So I think the near-term constraint there is less the competitive dynamic, but much more finding ways for us to leverage our capabilities and doing that in a way that's consistent with our risk appetite and the growth that we're seeing in the other areas. So I don't want to neglect at all growth opportunities in the U.S. and Europe. And I view that geographic expansion as very complementary for us.
3: Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Mario Mendonca of TD Securities. Please go ahead.
5: Good afternoon. Uh, Paul, in your opening remarks, you you offered something that was uh, very similar to what we heard from a few of the other life companies this quarter, specifically that higher interest rates could sort of enhance the product offering for... Um, for customers going forward. Now, when you when when I hear an insurance uh, executive offer that, I immediately think of, you know, better pricing illustrations on universal life. Uh, is there more to it than just that? Is there is there are there other products, or is it as simple as just saying long-term life insurance illustrates better with a higher rate?
1: Um, <laughs> well, I think I think you you captured probably a core issue which is the reality is that a number of these interest-sensitive products um, do do not provide as strong consumer value until you can actually get some real, you know, throughput in terms of returns. So I would say that's one driver. I think the other dynamic, though, I think about is diversification of of offerings and opportunities for customers, because if you kind of think over the last number of years, you know, PAR has tended to be, um, has taken up a lot of the sales share, for example, in Canada, and Universal Life has really sort of struggled to offer, you know, sort of competitive returns. And as we see uh, those rates rise, I think um, it allows for those stronger returns. I think the other, you know, reality is those stronger returns, uh, number one, uh, can offer in part better pricing for clients and in part better, better margins for us. So overall, I think it just sort of uh, takes uh, away a dampening effect and opens up the opportunity for a more more diverse and competitive product offering.
5: And do you, would you point us to other uh, potential positives from the higher rates, like earnings on surplus or new business? I mean, do are there are, is there more than just margins on sales? No, what else no. could you point? Us to?
1: Yeah, the other things I would I would point to would be things like. Uh, there's a number of, you know, there's guaranteed, uh, there's products with guaranteed rates or match rates, so as we, you know, as we have uh, higher rates, um, you're, you're in a better position that way. More attractive annuities would be a, a critically important one. If you think about, you know, people who are looking to secure certainty of, of reta- lifetime income, um, it's hard to, you know, to take that on when you're in a really low interest rate environment, uh, but it, things like annuity products become far more attractive as, as rates uh, start, start to widen. And I think the other reality is even if you think about long-term disability products, um, those um, disabled life reserves are, are also invested in, you know, assets, and they have to be fairly, sec- you know, secure, steady assets. So, again, LTD rates can become more competitive. So, overall, it has a really broad impact on our business. It's uh, it, To me, it's a th- – there's p- lots of potential positive lift.
5: Give me a sort of a different type of question, um, Paul, uh, about the tax rate. I- the tax rate does bounce around a lot. I think it does for a lot of companies. But what's, what's sort of really noticeable for Great West Life is that over, over the last, say, seven quarters, the base tax rate's been around 8 or 9%. What are we seeing there? Is it just that in these last seven quarters, there's just been a lot of opportunities to lower the tax rate through, you know, finishing up audits or, or just special provisions that were released? Like, what are we seeing over the last seven quarters that would lead to such the single-digit tax rates for Great West Life.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna to defer to Gary in a moment, but I'll just touch on three things. Uh, number one, we're gonna get our relative, you know, jurisdictional mix uh, uh, of business, which will drive that to the, so to the extent that we're having higher growth uh, in business in lower tax, uh, you know, jurisdictions, you're gonna see that dampening effect. You will see us, you know, obviously working through um, tax matters with the various uh, authorities and resolving those and I think the other thing is uh, thinking about you know how we structure our business uh, in terms of taking advantage of you know restructuring um, you know leveraging you know you know ve- leveraging you know various aspects of the business that way but I think if you look at it overall um, to a large extent you know there, there's lots of those opportunities but our, our continuing view would be that we we really think that the underlying tax rate really is in that you know low to middle um double digit uh rate and i'll let gary speak to that gary you probably have some stats on you know sort of where the health has been from a tax perspective uh sure paul i i, I think you've,
2: you've actually summed it up well a lot of the benefit uh or the lower tax rate just it comes from a, a couple of things and uh one is uh certain of our investment income isn't uh uh, you know it subject to taxes tax advantage investment income uh, but a lot of it uh, really is the mix of uh, jurisdictions of our uh, the, um, the where the earnings are arising the different jurisdictions because Canada is the highest of all the I think the small amount that's taxed in Germany because most of our German business run out of Ireland uh, as well which is a, as you know would be a lower tax rate so it really is that jurisdictional mix so our I think a typical tax rate in that low double digits is not uh, not unusual, and yeah, if you take a longer average, I think you know it is it is lumpy. Uh, you're right, Mario, that but, uh, but we've had a number of larger, um, you know, older older tax matters wrapped up, and typically you know we have provision for them. So when we do finally wrap them up, we uh, we always hope there's a little left over that falls to the bottom line uh, as we resolve those matters. So on average, I think that does or has at least in the past tend to lower the tax rate. So the combination of the two, I'm not surprised. I haven't done the average, but I'm not surprised it would be uh, like this quarter, 10 or or maybe even a little less as we have wrapped a few up lately. Okay. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Mario.
0: Our next question comes from Paul Holden of CIBC. Please go ahead.
6: Thank you. Good afternoon. I have uh, two questions for you. The first is on uh, LICAT and the interest rate sensitivity. So you do disclose um, a sensitivity number in your MDNA and it uses an example of a 50 50 basis point rate increase. If I was to think about that type of scenario, is that enough to result in the scenario switch whereby you get out of this more punitive scenario or would you need to see something even uh, higher than that?
1: uh paul i'm going to uh, refer
6: that question on to gary gary uh sure um
2: no w- at this point i mean it does um when we do the uh, those we do put the disclosures in so the 50 basis points and you'll see for our disclosure it's uh it still would be hit we don't cross scenarios at this point um, with 50. it would be higher than that it would it would likely be over 100 uh basis points up before we crossed and i i just want to caution though that 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 does change as our business changes. Whether it's, uh, you know, we we update our actuarial liabilities um, just as the as our overall uh, and our investments just to our investments as they change. But it's I think if you think of it as more than more than a hundred bips, that's probably uh, a good spot right now before it would switch back.
6: Okay, that's uh, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, and then my second question is around the expected profit growth in Canada. If I think about the, you know, it was up five percent year over year, and you also sold GLC Asset Management at the same time. I mean, that that seems to me like a pretty good uh, result. So maybe you can talk about some of the drivers and sustainability of that type of growth, and absent, uh, absent now uh, GLC.
3: Well.
1: Uh, I might start with Gary, you know, just trying to provide a bit of context around the 5%, but then I, I think, Gary, why don't you pass it over to Jeff McCown because, you know, um, Paul, th- the core underlying issue there is, uh, y- you heard us reference the growth in, in our wealth management business at a record level and we're seeing some net uh, sales there, uh, notwithstanding a bit of a softer life quarter, we're seeing, you know, pretty solid growth there. So underlying that, um, it's kind of growth and it's growth in the business, but Gary, Maybe you can provide a little context around the five percent in relation to GLC, and then maybe Jeff can speak to sort of the drivers of growth that are going to support that.
2: Yeah, I would note a couple of things. First of all, the the impact of uh, of the the loss of income, I guess, following the sale of GLC, as we as we called out at the time, was really single digits for the year, so it didn't have much of an impact. It was a very small impact on the uh, expected profit, a slight uh, a slight headwind there but uh, $1 or $2 million. Um, No, the benefits have really come from just our, uh, the, some of the repricings we had done in the past in our uh, group business, so just a, uh, uh, getting the, uh, the rate increases there, the, the execution of renewals and, uh, and good margins in our group business, and uh, somewhat lower expenses. Those have been um, sort of the, the net ones that come through to the expected profit. So uh, we're seeing uh, some improvement in our, uh, in our margins.
7: Um, that's really what drove the 5%. Um, Paul, if I could ask, uh, just uh, come behind Gary there. I would add that, um, as Gary pointed out, Paul, we um, we started uh, in I'll call it late '19 and certainly through '20. Gary referenced the group block. We took uh, pricing action twice, and uh, we're now seeing that that margin and those that that the renewals coming through in, in a nice way, and uh, and and our persistency uh, was up in quarter in groups, so that's positive. On the individual side, Gary and Paul touched on that a little bit. Uh, We also took action on on UL uh, term, our CIDI, uh, uh, starting in late 19 and into 20. And so, uh, what you're starting to see is the flow-throughs of those actions we took uh, in in 20. Okay.
6: So those sound like sustainable factors. That's uh, that's great. Thank you. That's all the questions I had.
0: Thanks, Paul. Our next question comes from Gabrielle Duchaine of National Bank Financial. Please go ahead.
8: Uh, good afternoon. Uh, just a question on uh, Mass Mutual, the uh, U.S. 38 million of earnings contribution. And, I mean, depending on how I treat the synergies and the. Uh, you know, financing costs, uh, it, you know, it looks like m- it may have exceeded the, uh, you know, the run rate that you're kind of, uh, guiding us to for accretion in 2022 based on the accounting pr- uh, acquisition presentation. Like, is that just my math that might be off or, or did something special happen this quarter? Um, I'll,
1: I'll start with Gary on that, uh, just, uh, you know, make sure that, um, that's consistent with our view. And then maybe I can just speak to, um, you know, the early, um, our, our, our early progress, which is, you know, uh, underlying, um, separate from the na- numbers underlying, um, it's going very well right out of the gate. Uh, we're really pleased with uh, the mass mutual integration, but Gary, why don't you uh, speak to the 38 million and then maybe I can talk a little bit about just progress and how that might be, you know, maybe, maybe a bit stronger than we might've expected
2: yeah i think that's a good way to sum it up Pod. i mean i i haven't gone through the the exact math you have gone through gave and we're happy to uh to, to line those up uh, after but i would say that we're off to a good start so we're we'd be uh, cautiously optimistic. one thing i'd note is that in our uh, in our original we'd have had a we'd have had a certain view on potential shock uh, shock loss lapses um i think we've uh, and Ed can speak to this. I think we've uh, we're very pleased with the retention of clients, and so that might uh, that might be a help. Um, asset levels would have been uh, obviously markets have continued to perform, so those higher asset levels as in Q1 than we might have anticipated when we were originally uh, uh, describing the transaction. Those are also obviously the markets go up and down, but those have also been a, a positive. So I, I'm not surprised right. you're seeing it a little better. There's a few a few positive factors there, but maybe Ed can talk about the
3: business. Sure. Well, that's, um, that's, thanks, that's Gary. True. Yeah, 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 no, just, I was just, I was, I was there, yeah, yeah, that's
9: fine. Go ahead. No, I was just going to add that, um, that we're seeing strong revenue per part there. Um, and we expect that to continue, uh, obviously, as Gary mentioned, the market's health, uh, it, it's still early days, obviously, but in terms of the, the client retention effort, uh we're running ahead of plan there so i think that is a contributing factor and the program okay. in general is on track in the budget and as, as paul mentioned in his opening remarks um you know we're we're on track on the on on the uh, synergies for the year too
8: okay great and, and nothing like uh what gary was talking about in terms of uh you know reinvesting some of the general accounts that's for revenue synergies that's Part of the original plan. It's not nothing. It's not anything new that you've discovered. No, I'm, uh, no. So What
2: I call out in my notes is that we uh, we hadn't uh, we haven't quite reached our, our target asset mix there. So there's a, you know there is a potential to add some uh, yield and spread as we reach our target asset mix. Uh, just obviously the uh, the assets are just transferred right at close at year end. So with, uh, it's we've got some uh, some
8: potential there. Potential, but like the I think it was 30 million dollars in terms of revenue synergies. Uh, and Above and beyond that, possibly.
2: I think Ed can talk to those. I think those were a different type of uh, revenue synergies. Okay. All right.
9: Yeah, the revenue synergies really won't begin to kick in until the relationship, for the most part, won't be won't really kick in until the relationships come onto our platform. We'll, we'll see stuff, right. but, okay. but a lot of it'll. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Gabrielle, I just I to I clarify, I think what Gary's referring to is that if we looked at the overall investment gains and, you know, yields, uh, yield we were expecting on the uh, invested assets once they're brought over and kind of invested with the target portfolio, we'd expect a certain level of yield. We've not fully transitioned it. We've got some lower yielding assets. We'll get them to the target. Um, it's, it's not part of that. It's just we're where we're maybe a bit ahead in some areas, we're a little bit behind on that. Um, and all of these things are going to come into the frame in the subsequent quarters.
8: OK, great. Uh, thanks for that. And sorry for cutting people off. It's hard to tell when uh, someone starts, someone starts on these things.
1: Yeah. No problem. No, no problem at all. Good questions.
0: Once again, if you have a question, please press star, then 1. Our next question comes from Tom McKinnon of BMO Capital. Please go ahead.
10: Yeah, thanks very much. Good afternoon. Um curious on your comments about the uh Balkan market uh saying that uh activity has returned, but uh, there there haven't been any kind of sales. Um maybe you can describe uh um it, it, what's been driving that activity? Is it a do rising interest rates help? Uh and uh um what is really your What differentiates you from your competitors in the bulk annuity marketplace uh, in Europe? And then uh, have you ever thought about transporting those um, capabilities into North America? And to what extent does uh, an increase in bulk annuity business lead to better yield enhancements, assuming that you source assets? through bulk, and it does that have any bearing on your ability to have any kind of uh, uptick in yield enhancements? So, sorry about a bit of a mouthful there, but if you can uh, try to tackle that, that would be great. Thanks.
1: Okay. Thanks, Tom. Uh, you know, I'll, Tom, I'll start off, and then I'm going to turn it to uh, David Harney to provide a bit more color. Um, there's kind of three questions there. I'm going to let David speak to, you know, what unlocks the market, you know, why is the market opening up now versus um, maybe no, not over the last few months? Um, and I do think interest rates play into that. Uh, the question about, um, you know, would we consider participating in this market, uh, for example, in Canada, we'd call it the single premium group annuity market, you know, every market has to have their own name for for a, for a business opportunity, and absolutely, as we think about, um, you know, uh, longevity and ta- taking on, you know, that as part of our, in our within our risk appetite, We do look to opportunities in Canada, and um, I would say that, you know, that's an area that um, Arshal Jamal and the Capital and Risk Solutions Group are thinking about. I would also note that as we think about playing in the longevity market, we do it both through the bulk annuity quote-unquote business, but also through our Capital and Risk Solutions Group. And for sure, to the extent that we're doing transactions that come along with assets, uh, yield enhancement is obviously, um, you know, one of the opportunities that comes with that. So I'll turn it over maybe to David though to provide a little bit more colour and uh, to the extent, Arshul, that if you have anything to add, feel free to jump in after that. David?
11: Yeah, just our, our comment on that was it, it's partly COVID related and partly interest rates. Like obviously bulk annuities, they're, they're big transactions for pension schemes to, to sort of undertake and execute um, and to take a little bit of time. So So we just saw a slowdown in schemes entering the pipeline. Um, last year, mostly because of COVID. Um, so we're sort of out of that now. And, you know, the, the pipeline of schemes that are out in the market uh, looking to, to execute at the moment is is back to normal levels. Um, we won't write bulk annuity scheme every quarter, um, but I suppose we're just calling out that that we are active and we, we would expect um, to win some schemes again this year. And we're finding and our pricing is is pretty competitive um i suppose our competitive advantage comes from a number of sources um like being able to work with the capital and risk solutions team is a big uh, help to us in the uk and then um you know the, the the various investment management companies that we have and particularly the company in the uk um you know they they work very hard to to earn good yields on the assets that that come with these deals, and you know that helps us be competitive in the UK markets. David, I think it's also fair
1: to say that we've you know been in this business for a long time uh, in the payout annuity business, and I think we actually do have pretty deep expertise on the liability uh, selection side. So the whole you know managing the liability side, understanding those. Um, is key. And then obviously the uh, asset management side is, is the other part that comes into play. And, um, you know, when we look at those businesses, we think about the combined benefits of do we have the underwriting risk selection uh, expertise? Do Can we source assets either, you know, th- directly through the in-market uh, investment management shop we have or across our group, because we look to those things. And then the, the final one is, how can we use capital and risk solutions um, as a reinsurance entity to uh, use some internal reinsurance structures where we may be able to get some additional advantage there. So those are kind of the three uh, parts of the recipe that have allowed us to participate. And again, that uh, means that we're not uh, blind to opportunities, but we want to make sure that you know if we consider things in Canada or elsewhere, that it has the same overall um, risk and return profile that we could get uh, in the U.K. market. Or if you consider some of the longevity tra- transactions we've done in capital and risk solutions uh, in continental Europe as well. shall anything else you'd add to that?
4: Uh, I, I, I would add a couple of points. We certainly did see through sort of 2019 and 2020 that the way the swap spreads were working, it was better for us. Assets in North America to support our European bulk annuity efforts, as opposed to originating assets in other places to support liabilities in Canada. So the swap spreads were one one of the factors that sort of made um, the the margins that were available to us in Europe more attractive. And then our UK origination of equity release mortgages. Some of that has been support yield enhancement activities in Canada. The real constraint for us in Canada in being more active in the SPGA market is really the competitive landscape. The returns have been historically a little bit lower, and we're working hard to see if we can find different investment strategies using some of the capabilities that exist for us outside Canada, bring those to bear to support in Canada on SPGA. So I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, that you know, in, in due course, that our offering in Canada will become more competitive as we find ways to tap in our, our asset origination capabilities in, in the U.S. and in Europe. And if the swap spreads are going in the right direction to support our offering in Canada, but as Paul indicated, you know there, there are a lot of ways that we can get those asset-heavy type of transactions, bulk annuities, reinsurance, SPGAs. And we're very cautious, uh, conscious of all of the markets that we – all of the opportunities that are available and thinking deeply about making sure that we get the best return for our shareholders. Okay, thanks for the
10: detail. If I could just ask really one more one on Putnam. You know, margins are down to like two – you know, the two-percentage range. The, you know, the core earnings were uh, not – you know, back down to low single digits. Uh, into outflows again. Uh, So, you know, what's the thinking on Putnam? I mean, we had a bit of, we had some cost cuts, margins came back up, but, uh, you know, we're back to where we were before. Yeah,
1: Tom, I'll start with that one. Um, To start with, you know, to kind of unpack the quarter, um, there's, I guess, three dynamics at play. Um, Number one, we saw uh, performance fees were, you know, high in Q4, and um, I think we disclosed that that was kind of a not uh, regular repeatable event. They tend to be back-ended into the year. So that was part of what drove the higher margin in Q4. Um, The other issue we had was, you know, um, that Gary referenced in his speaking notes was on seed capital. Um, There was um, some hedge funds that are more tech-based where seed capital has been a very strong, uh, consistent contributor, and um, what happened with this location on some of the tech funds in Q1 is we saw a bit of a fall away there where we've actually seen a you know, recovery already happening in, 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 in Q2. So you know, there was sort of that, that, that dynamic going on. Um, and um, I guess the third one would be that you know, a lot of the positive flows we've had um, has tended to be in um, uh, fixed income and some shorter duration fixed income. And one of the dynamics and trends we've seen has been um, a bit of a turn in terms of equity flows into equity funds, which we actually think is really pointing to health of the business. Uh, It really aligns uh, well with, you know, our wholesaling strategies and the like. And so we like where our performance is at. Our customers are doing very well. I'm going to let Bob speak to that. But, you know, maybe I'll just have Gary provide a little bit more context in terms of our view of this particular quarter's margins, because I think, you know, where last quarter was elevated, I think this quarter was kind of temporarily dampened, and I do think um, we actually feel pretty good about Putnam's performance, so I'll let Gary speak to that, and then maybe Bob wants to uh, comment a little bit on performance and our views on, you know, how the um, overall franchise is delivering for customers and how that, you know, where there's real potential for flows from our perspective. Gary.
2: Uh, sure. I, I think I just call it a couple of things. Uh, I think we've noted the uh, the performance fees, which uh, the institutional performance fees are are basically a, um, a Q4 item. So that is a, a seasonality in uh, in Putnam. Uh, a couple things to note: the seed capital. Uh, I, I think we we tend to just report it quarter by quarter. But if I look back, it was um, just over 30 million. This would be Canadian dollars. Just over 30 million in 2019 and. Even uh, notwithstanding some of the volatility last year, ended up uh, the year I think around 45 million, 47 million. So it has typically been a positive contributor, that eight to ten a quarter uh, type of contribution. And it was minus six this quarter. Uh, again, that was some uh, specific mandates, and maybe Bob can touch on those. That uh, I think they have bounced back in April. But the mark-to-market was uh, was not good at the end of Q1. And then just lastly, on the seasonality point again, these are not large numbers, but they. Uh, the overall uh, income isn't that large, so they can have an impact. Um, and that's uh, some of the expenses are tend to be front-ended. Um, some of the expenses are front-ended at Putnam in uh, in Q1. Just around there's, uh, there's payroll taxes that are a bit higher in Q1, um, I think. And then there's the um, the stock-based uh, compensation tends to be uh, higher in Q1 as well. So there's a couple of uh, seasonality items. Uh, so I think I think have summed it up well. I, I think underlying that, uh, uh, the revenues and expenses are uh, are trending the right way. Uh, there is some noise.
1: Yeah, and, and Bob, maybe you can just talk, speak to the to you know our view on performance and uh, and flows because actually we uh, we come into this quarter feeling you know pretty good about the strength of the franchise. Bob.
9: Yeah, we uh, feel very 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 good about what's going on. I, I from a performance standpoint. Uh, Barron's Magazine comes out with an annual survey and the last 10 years, um, Putnam was the third top performing money manager in the US. And if you look at versus Lipper, uh, we're in the top uh, third in performance over the last three and five years, respectively, when you look at total fund assets. And Paul, you touched upon having 24 funds and four or five stars and more stars. So that's, that's been reflected in the business. Uh, we, we touched upon equity flows for positive and all channels, which is is a switch. It um, That means management fees up. And uh, if you look at the pipeline institutionally, if you look what's going on in the retail space uh, being placed on platforms and in model portfolios, all all the momentum is there for uh, Putnam to have a good year.
3: Thanks, Bob. You're
4: welcome. Thank you.
0: Our next question comes from Doug Young of Desjardins Capital Markets. Please go ahead
12: good afternoon i'll keep this real quick the the thirty eight million from mass mutual is that uh yeah, is is that after financing
1: costs uh gary i'll let you comment on that one the uh
2: no i think the um uh, the uh financing costs i don't think we've attributed them directly to uh, uh to mass mutual so that that would include the amortization uh the amortization of intangibles but not the the debt's not specifically attributed.
12: Hey, can you break that out? Like, what was the amortization of intangibles, and what would the financing costs be? Or, yeah, the net um, that, or yeah, I, I can. Uh,
2: Two um, on the the amortization of intangibles. I think you'll find it in the uh, financial statements. They're doing this remember, I believe. It was the 19 million. It's uh, it's in the uh, note three of the financials. You'll. You'll see we've set up the intangibles and we call out the amortization in Q1. And then the financing, again, I don't have the specific for uh, mass retail. I have the year-over-year change in financing overall, which is really a company, mostly mass retail, a little bit of personal capital.
13: And the year-over-year
2: change was about $12 million in our financing costs. And that's
12: um, is that Canadian dollars or is that U.S. dollars?
1: That's yeah. Canadian. That's for the quarter. Yeah. Okay. Gary, you know what? Um, I think we should probably get back to that 38 because I know the 38 definitely has the uh, the cost of, you know, the intangibles, which, you know, $15 million U.S. But I do think there is some debt cost attributed to that 38, so we should um, – Okay. Uh, Andra Bolton, who I think is on to take questions. Andra, do you, do you have more detail on that? Uh, yes, Paul. No, the
0: 38 does include the amortization of the uh, intangibles and the financing costs related to the acquisition i'm just looking for the breakout of the financing right now
12: but but it includes both of them that's what i was hoping for yes Yes, okay 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 and then just on the us uh, sorry canadian group side you had a positive group experience in Canada, i believe um and just hoping you can flush that out. I mean, I, I understand you did some pricing, so that obviously benefited. But are you seeing some positive outcomes from terminations, um, incidence rates? Just hoping to get a little more color.
1: Uh, I will pass that one right over to Jeff McCown. Jeff, do you want to speak to our group of, uh, results? And I think you're you're mainly uh, speaking to group disability, but you know we tend to look at group morbidity overall. But uh, Jeff, why don't you um, why don't you jump in?
7: Yeah, thanks, Paul, uh, and thank you, Doug. So, yes, we were very pleased with uh, how we performed uh, in quarter, uh, in line with our expectations, and and uh, and our incidents and terminations are certainly in line as well with our expectations, so we have not seen a lift on those, and uh, we performed much stronger as Q1 2020, as was called out in the exhibit. So, um, in part, you know, we, we manage this business very closely. Uh, I mentioned in an earlier comment to... Uh, Uh, on renewals and execution of the business, our persistency has has gone up and at the same time we've been able to uh, manage it well, uh, the margin. The other thing too is that I think we're providing very good value on the mental health side. We did see mental health claims rise just a little bit and we've added a number of uh, value adds uh, over the last year in the mental health side. So uh, we're we're very pleased uh, where we're at on
3: the group disability side. Perfect. Thank you.
0: This concludes the question and answer session. I would like to turn the conference back over to Mr. Mann for any closing remarks. Uh,
1: thank you very much, Ariel. Well, I want to thank everyone for um, for participating in today's uh, call. I know this has been a long day with lots of reporting going on today, and we appreciate you staying with us till the later hour. Uh, we actually really look forward to uh, having you join us on June 8th when we can talk more about uh, the Empower business, the Empower business that, you know, having taken on mass mutual and personal capital, and you'll have an opportunity to uh, meet and spend some time with Ed and a number of his uh, management team and uh, Gary and I will join in as well. And uh, in the meantime, I just encourage everyone to stay healthy. And if you're not yet vaccinated Mm -hmm. and you get the opportunity, please take advantage of it uh, for for all of us. And thank you very much and uh, see you soon. Take care.
0: This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating and have a pleasant day.